0: This morning. Uh, today is a bit of a special day in my household. My son David is celebrating his fifth birthday party. So happy birthday buddy and hello also to Sophia and Elijah. They always ask me to say hello and I always forget. So hello guys. Um, friends, when I was a teenager I once tried to keep an avocado seed. I'm not sure why but the seed just looked so hard and shiny and bursting with potential. So I set it aside in the cupboard and guess what it looked like the next day? shriveled and soft and utterly disappointing now that little avocado seed is a metaphor for life how often do we pursue things in life that look to be shiny and hard and solid but ultimately leave us unsatisfied we chase after food, we chase after jobs, we chase after, after respect or likability, approval from others. The world offers us plenty of stuff that satisfies for a moment but ultimately does not last. What the Bible offers us is food that lasts, nourishment for our soul. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. So friends, whatever you've been pursuing this week, set it down Whatever it is that you've been longing for this week, look for it here. Let us come together to John chapter 6 for food that will satisfy our souls. Uh, This chapter is really long, 71 verses. Um, What we're going to do is we are going to fly through the whole chapter together and as we go I'm going to offer some comments along the way and then at the end we're going to stop and ask ourselves, what is the takeaway for us? What is God telling us in this long chapter? Well, food, in case you've missed it, is the prevailing metaphor. Uh, Maybe you've got some food in front of you right now. That's good. That will help remind you what it is we're talking about. But friends, let me stop and pray, and then we'll get into the passage together. Will you pray with me? Father, we do ask that by your Spirit you would speak to us through this chapter, through these words. Help us to see Jesus, that he is your provision for our life. And Father, help us to do it humbly, with hearts that are ready to hear, minds that are ready to receive. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do hope you've got a Bible in front of you. We're going to put words up on the screen as well so you can follow along. Let's start with the first story. The first story in John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000, one of Jesus' most famous miracles. There's a crowd following Jesus, but the thing we need to know is that we cannot trust this crowd. John tells us they're following Jesus for the wrong reasons. They're following him because of the signs he did, healing some sick people, verse 2 tells us, but this crowd is only interested in those signs, not in the man. Let's read together from verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the crowd are looking for signs. The thing about signs is they are not the thing they signify. If you were to drive up the freeway and see the sign for Newcastle, you wouldn't stop and say, we're here. No, the sign just lets you know you're heading in the right direction. Verse 14 says, the crowd saw the sign, but they missed what it signifies. They have their own agenda. They want to make Jesus into their king, which might seem a bit of a strange conclusion to us, but the first century Jew was ruled by the Roman Empire. They're looking for someone to emancipate them, someone to set them free. Jesus might be it, but this is not why Jesus came. And so Jesus withdraws. This second story is about Jesus walking on the water, another one of his famous miracles. From verse 16, will you read with me? When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, friends, something incredible happens in this story, but it's not the miracle. It's the disciples that are interesting to me. See, when the disciples don't know who it is on the water, they are afraid. But when they know it's Jesus, they're not afraid. The same thing's happening. There's a man walking on the water, but they're not afraid when they know it is Jesus. Why is their reaction totally opposite? It's opposite because they know him they don't know a strange ghost hovering about on the sea but they know jesus and when they recognize him they welcome him into the boat now this one is a sign not for the crowds but for the disciples and for us the crowds don't see this one you and i see this one the bible gives us a really privileged perspective here uh, but the perspective we have comes with a challenge. Can you see what the crowds keep missing? That's the challenge we have as readers. Can you see what this crowd keeps missing? When you read a gospel, you are supposed to notice the reactions of the people and then ask yourself, how am I supposed to react? Well, we're going to keep going. Verses 22 to verse 40 is often called the bread of life discourse because in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is his metaphor. Jesus is not really bread, Jesus is God's provision to us for eternal life. But the crowd can't see it. They're not thinking spiritually, they are thinking materially. And so their understanding of his words are limited by this material perspective. It's what I like to call belly thoughts. Belly thoughts are when your actions, your decisions, your behaviours are driven by what you see and feel, not what is true, not what is spiritual, not what is lasting. Humans, we like to think that we're enlightened, we like to think that we're rational, but we all fall into this pattern of thinking. We neglect the spiritual and we drown in the material. I count five belly thoughts in this next discourse. We're going to read it from verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowds realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Pause there. Already, this crowd is still thinking materially. First, they're stumped by the boat. They didn't see Jesus uh, walking on the water. All they saw is one boat left, Jesus wasn't on it, and now he's here. Because they are thinking with their belly, they cannot explain how that might have happened. They've totally missed it. And secondly, they're following him, not because of what he said, but because they're looking for a sensible lunch. Jesus has to correct them. Verse 27, we'll keep reading. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. But then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. So here the crowd have three more belly thoughts. In verse 28, they want to work for God's favor. Give us something to do, they say to Jesus. But Jesus flips it on his head and says, God doesn't want you to work for his approval as if you could. No, you need to believe in the one he sent. Their fourth belly thought, they ask for another sign in verse 30. What were the loaves and fishes if not a sign? See, they saw that happen, but they didn't understand it. Number five is a misreading of their own human history. Uh, in Israel's past, when they were wandering the desert, God miraculously provided food for them so that they wouldn't starve. They think Moses did it. Moses was the hero of that story. And Jesus says, no, it is God who provided food for you. Life comes from God, but not from men. But the crowd keep missing the point of all these signs. It's not enough just to see a miracle. You've got to see the man behind it. Loaves and fishes, they lasted for a day. But what Jesus is offering them is something that will last for eternity. Now, they're not not getting this metaphor. And instead of slowing down, Jesus just escalates it. And so we're up to the next section. Uh, We'll go to verse 48. Jesus takes this bread of life metaphor into some pretty uncomfortable territory. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now friends, hopefully you can hear what this crowd heard. This sounds like cannibalism. Eating flesh and drinking blood. The crowd is not happy with that kind of language. Uh, They're trapped in their material thinking, though, and they miss the metaphor Jesus is trying to give them. For you and I, this eating metaphor is familiar. We devour a TV series, we drink in a sunset, we chew on a problem. It's emotive language, not meant to be taken literally. And the point is that if you and I want to live really live you need to absolutely embrace jesus in faith you have to absolutely believe that he died in your place to feed on his flesh is an act of wholehearted belief in him jesus says to them in verse 47 very truly i tell you the one who believes has eternal life all the crowds they just start grumbling Maybe they're just grumbling because they came for a feed and Jesus keeps talking endlessly. Let's go to verse 66. Um, Even some of his disciples can't stomach what Jesus is saying. Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus, Jesus turned to the 12. He said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So finally, at the end of the chapter, somebody nails it. You've got to see the world spiritually, not materially. It's always been about believing Jesus' words, not chasing after miracles. The ones who miss it, they depart. But those who see it clearly... They remain. And having eternal life isn't about seeing all the signs because some of these disciples really did see everything. Even Judas, who gets a mention at verse 71, he saw the walking on the water. He saw everything the crowd missed, and yet even he did not believe because it's not about seeing the signs but the man behind them. So if you've fallen into this trap of thinking that you need to see a sign... To believe in God, to believe in Jesus, to reaffirm your faith, to find another kick to get through this week, you need to reckon again with what Jesus says in John chapter 6. Well, that's the whole chapter, and we haven't even read every verse. What here is the key for us? Well, I think the key for us starts in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. In first century Judea, the crowds that Jesus is talking to, most of life was governed by this quest for daily bread. There were no supermarkets, no refrigerators, no international supply chains. You had to work for your daily food. Now, I reckon not much has changed for us today. Now, I don't have a farm in Newtown, but we still pursue our daily appetite. We still chase after attention on social media. We try and build our careers. We value stuff. Every day we keep thinking these belly thoughts. And Australia does present us with spoiling food that looks oh so sweet. Maybe one of the reasons that we found COVID so challenging is that the carefree life we've been chasing here on the North North Shore the carefree life we've been pursuing has been disrupted. We can't chase it right now. We're in lockdown. Now, that won't be true for everyone, but it might be true for some of us. So, friends, whatever it is that you're pursuing, if it isn't Jesus, it will not last. It will not satisfy. And when it's taken away, you will be left feeling empty. Work instead for the food that endures to eternal life. How do you get that food? Verse 27 tells us, the son of man, he will give it to you. Come to Jesus, that's the message. This is what Peter concluded, where else could we go? Gladys and our politicians? The fridge? My boss? Instagram? Where would you go for eternal life? It's about having this personal encounter with this man. Jesus is God's provision for eternal life. The crowd missed it. We can see it with the perspective we've been given. And let's not have the wrong idea about what eternal life is. Eternal life is more than just this unending existence. That probably doesn't sound very good to you. It's about getting right with God, passing from condemnation to acceptance. It's about a personal relationship with the very source of life. I used to think eternity started when you die. But it's already begun. We're in it. When you have an encounter with Jesus, when you get right with God, your eternal life, the life that satisfies, has begun. All that materi- all this material stuff is not it. It really demands a spiritual response. Have a look at verse 63 again. I don't think I've got this one on the screen. I'll read it for you. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So friends, what does this spiritual Response look like on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday? What does it mean to live spiritually in a material world? How do we do that? Well, let me suggest two applications for us. Here's what you can do today and tomorrow and for the rest of your spiritual life. Firstly, actively read the Bible. These words are full of spirit and life. I don't mean start a new reading plan. I don't mean open up to Leviticus and if you haven't made it to chapter 15, you've somehow failed. I'm, I don't mean read it passively, like, oh, I've got to get my two verses in. I've ticked that box for the day and go back to sleep. I mean read it actively. Read it as if the God of the universe wrote it and he's speaking to you through it right now. What does it look like to read it that way? What would it look like to read John chapter 16, verse 33? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What would it look like to read that verse and to call a friend and share it with them and ask them, how does this verse speak to your soul? How has Jesus overcome the world? How do we take heart? In what way is this verse an encouragement to us? What does the next verse say? What did the verse before that say? What is my Father in heaven telling me today? My first suggestion for pursuing food that lasts, actively read the Bible. Secondly, starve your belly thoughts. Don't feed your material view of the world. What do I mean? Well, maybe this one is for you. Has the 11am press conference become an idol for you? When you watch Gladys, is your belly telling you that the greatest problem facing our country is a pandemic? Are you becoming a greater evangelist for a vaccine than for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is COVID worse than hell? If your perspective of this pandemic is shaped more by Facebook and the media than by the God of the universe, then perhaps you've got to start starving that belly thought. At 11am each day, why don't you stop and pray instead before you check the updates? Put it in your calendar, set an alert so that you don't forget. Stay off Facebook. You can check the update at the end of the day. I'm not advocating for ignorance, but for wisdom. Now, that might be a good example for you, or it might not. Um, What about this? What are the things that you turn for when day by day when you feel stressed or anxious or lonely. Loneliness is a huge one for us. What does your belly offer you to dull that? Are you reaching for a glass of wine or for chocolate? Are you watching too much Netflix? Are you turning to pornography? Are you dreaming about a bigger house or planning the next holiday? These are the things that our belly puts in front of us to offer us satisfaction in the moment. But it's a satisfaction that will not last you might need to start starving one of them. Maybe it means getting an internet blocker, maybe it means getting all the food out of the house. If you want to meet each day with a right view of food that truly lasts, with a right view of Jesus and your eternal life in him, maybe you need to take some steps to starve the idols that pull you away. It's a hard battle, so make sure you ask for help. Now, I don't think anyone's surprised by what I've just said. No one's surprised that a preacher would stand up and say, read the Bible and get rid of your idols. It's not a surprise, but we need to keep saying it because the drift is away. The drift isn't toward Jesus. The drift is away. This crowd saw the sign and they grumbled when Jesus got real. Even the disciples started to leave him. The drift isn't toward the bread of life. The drift is away. So we've got to keep coming back. You've got to keep coming back to Jesus. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, before we finish, this chapter also raises two controversial issues that I think it's worth us thinking about. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it way too briefly. So let's touch on these two things. They are predestination and the Lord's Supper. Firstly, predestination. Verse 44. If you've got a Bible, have a look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Friends, all predestination means is that God is sovereign over salvation. God's not at our mercy, powerlessly waiting for us to choose him. That view would put us over God. No, God is sovereign over salvation. God calls people to himself. Sometimes people come to him as children, sometimes as 90 year olds in a nursing home. God calls them. But, friends, listen to this. If you believe in Jesus for eternal life, this is what John 6 says about you God's sovereign plan for you, from verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me, and this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those He has given me. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. Have you heard that? Do you realize who you are in God's sovereign plan? You are a gift from the Father to the Son. That is huge. Meditate on that. That's all we've got time for. If you want to wrestle with predestination, you've got to come and wrestle with John chapter 6. The second one that John chapter 6 raises is the Lord's Supper. You might call it communion. You might call it the Eucharist. People often point to John 6 and say, this is where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. But it isn't. There are lots of reasons why this isn't About the Lord's Supper, I've got time to highlight one. If we say that John 6 is where Jesus starts the Lord's Supper, then we must also say that you can only be saved if you take the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 53. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Do you see? Unless you eat bread and drink grape juice, you can't be saved. That's not what it's saying. That would make salvation contingent on our work of eating and drinking. But remember what the crowd missed. Eternal life does not come through work, but through faith. John 6 is not about Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper is about John 6. It points us back here. That's why we're going to celebrate it today. The Lord's Supper is this material activity we do, we drink, we eat, that has a spiritual significance. It's a material thing that Jesus did. He really did live, he really did die, that brought about a spiritual reality for us. Whoever believes in him, not whoever eats bread and drinks juice, whoever believes will receive eternal life. Let's finish. Friends, if you fell asleep at the start, here's what I just said. Jesus is God's provision to us for eternal life. What we need is what the crowd missed. We need a personal encounter with Jesus on his terms. If you want a life that truly satisfies, a life that truly lasts, believe in Jesus' words. Believe in him and you will receive that life. But how will you keep that spiritual focus in a material world? Friends, actively read your Bible. It's God's living word to you. And starve your belly thoughts. Maybe there's something in your life that you've been pursuing that you need to start starving right now. Take a step away from food that spoils toward food that lasts. I used to think eternity started when you die, but we're already in it. You're about to take your next step into that eternity. What will you step away from? What will you step towards? Make your next step a step toward Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. Father, help us come to him in faith Help us to believe that he really did die for our sin in our place so that we might pass from condemnation to acceptance so that we might have a personal relationship with you, the source of our life. We ask for your help because we cannot do it on our own. So, Father, by your spirit, may you fill us with this hope and joy that comes with knowing we have an eternal life that starts now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.